My name is Mary Grace, and you're listening to the Homebody Podcast. Here, we explore what it means to practice embodiment, which is practicing home inside our own selves and also within our wider body, which is the earth. These spiritually and artfully minded conversations center healing, magic, astrology, intuition, art, wellness, creativity, social and environmental justice as the practices that help us witness more relationship, meaning, and purpose. We are here to approach life as a conscious process, and my hope is to enliven you, encourage you to hone your intuition, connect to your own center, so together we can cultivate more wisdom and self-trust and be dynamic agents of beauty, people who are fully awake and with our power intact. We're here to be more intentional as we approach the creation and caretaking of life, and we are here to make room for inquiry, sensitivity, and joy. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone, and welcome. This episode is revisiting an earlier conversation that I had with Lindsay Mack that was originally recorded back in December of 2019, and it aired at the very beginning of 2020. So at the end of each podcast season, we're wrapping up season two right now, we take some time to reflect on some of the past episodes. So in the next few weeks, you'll see in your feed some showcasing of some of our favorite episodes and really bringing them to light again. And when I first started the podcast, I knew that Lindsay was definitely someone I wanted to have a conversation with. If you don't know, Lindsay is an intuitive tarot teacher and the host of the Tarot for the Wild Soul podcast and the founder of the Soul Tarot School. This conversation is so beautiful and watery and vulnerable and friendly. I really, again, I say this all the time. I love all the guest conversations that I get to have on the show, and this one is definitely one of my top favorites. Lindsay has always impressed me with her simultaneous vulnerability as well as how she is still able to retain her privacy and her sense of self. And she's someone who really walks her talk, follows her intuition, even when it presents uncomfortable choices, and is such a storyteller in the context of the healing journey. And in this episode, we talk about so many things, but some of the highlights are what wildness means to her and how it came to be such an important component in her work, what it means to choose the soul every day in life and in business, connecting individually to the tarot cards, to the readings and the archetypes that live within the cards and also outside of them. And Lindsay also shares some insights on integrating intuitive work and intuitive practice while also healing from PTSD. And as we become more eloquent and skilled in how we approach trauma in ourselves and society and one another, I think this is a really important perspective and it's one that I think about often. This is a really soft, insightful conversation. We had a lot of fun recording it, so I hope it will remind you to center your own wildness, trust your own intuition above everyone else's, and remember to choose the soul every day. I will see you next week for our episode looking at the astrology forecast for September, but for now, I hope that you enjoy and soak up this conversation with Lindsay Mack.
So again, I start by just letting people introduce themselves that I don't fumble over myself and just tell us who you are, what you do in the world. Of course. Uh, My name is Lindsay Mack and I'm an intuitive tarot teacher. I'm the host of Tarot for the Wild Soul podcast and the founder of Soul Tarot School. Amazing. And again, I'm just like thrilled to have you. Um, And (laughs) thrilled to be here. Yeah, I've been listening. I don't know. I guess, did you start your podcast in like 2017? Is that something around there? I must have started listening like around when you started it, I guess. And it's not like every episode I'm there, but I, it's on the radar for the past couple of years. And it was a big inspiration in me being like, oh, I could do a podcast. So hell yes. Thank you for doing your podcast. Thank you. Um, Do you mind sharing how you found the tarot and what first prompted you to begin working with it? Of course. So I um, got my first tarot deck when I was 12. And I don't remember knowing anything about tarot when I got the deck. I just saw it and thought, well, that sounds great. I just kind of have a memory of feeling like, yeah, that would be a great thing to have. That would be really cool. And it was a Rider weight, a Radiant Rider weight, And um, I just taught myself and read for my friends in middle school and then read for my friends in high school and read all through college and um, never had any idea that it would be what it is, that it would be such a big part of my life. It was just kind of... Um, something I brought out pretty regularly, but there wasn't yet um, an integration between really who I think, what my soul really came to the planet to do and kind of the fucking around I had to do before I got there, you know, if that makes sense. And I say the fucking around with like great admiration and respect because we need that time. Mm-hmm. Um And then after I turned, so I used it from 12 to 30 and then about 30, a couple of different circumstances wove themselves together and I found myself reading at a shop and it has really just taken off from there. It was like in between those years, uh, I had had a wellness practice with a yoga teacher who was a friend of mine at the time. and. something in my coaching because I was doing like life and health coaching, really helping people who had trauma and anxiety specifically because I had trauma and anxiety with food and lifestyle and meditation very loosely. Um, But there was something missing and I could not really um, understand what that was. And of course the, the missing part was like, was intuition and spirituality. And like, I didn't get that at all. And, um, when I, that one day when I was reading, um, tarot in that shop, literally on the first day, cause I became a resident reader there. It was like all these different things that had been forming themselves over years came together. And I was like, Oh my God, I have all of these skills for deep listening. I have an understanding of nonviolent, inclusive language that can help people's nervous systems calm down enough to really see. I'm absolutely hearing guidance that seems to be other than me and yet part of me. 
And here's this old friend, this old friend tarot that I know and remember from pre-puberty almost. Like I remember these allies, these, these friends that are now coming back from this part of my life. So it was a very magical, very long way of kind of tying that circle together. And, um, and since then, it's been its own journey of really learning, unlearning, rewilding, um, stepping into my own understanding of tarot, not doing readings anymore and stepping into teaching. Like that's a whole other journey, but pretty much it started as a 12 year old in a bookstore in New Jersey. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it feels like that kind of magical moment that you're talking about is just like that profound experience of like alignment. Like when we finally step into this like flow for ourselves it and we're like met. Yes, it did feel that way. It was a lot of work to get there, but absolutely. Yeah, not always is. Yes. Um, I think there was, um, I believe it was a monk I was reading and they were talking about how simplicity is always on the other side of complexity. Mm. And you like have to go through the complexity to get to this moment of like profound simplicity. And I'm like, that's <laughs> truth. Like that is, yes. that is yes. real. Absolutely. Um, what is the, I love that wildness is part of your, I don't want to say it's part of your brand, which it is, but it's a word that you deeply identify with and um, bring up a lot in your kind of personal integration work. What does the word wild mean to you and how did you find it? I love this question. <laughs> I really love to talk about wildness. <laughs> me too. Um, <clears throat> what wildness means, means to me is... Mm, well, first of all, I think that it is the original self. I think that the wildness that each of us has within us is the purest form of who we are. And ironically, it's the rawest, messiest part of the self, the, the part of the self that's the most comfortable being in the not knowing because of course we have like no idea what's going to happen in this life you know we really don't and that's not only okay it's exactly what's meant you know that we don't know that we're really in this void um we are a part of something very large as human beings um we're part of the seasons, we're a part of the planetary shifts, we're a part of including the apocalyptic experiences that were happening now with climate change. Like we're all feeling that in some way. And animals and plants and birds, including those of us who have um, left our ancestral homelands, may not even know where our ancestral homelands are. Our ancestors, like they're, they, all of that is running through us and is the home that I think many of us in the root that many of us are seeking. And even in speaking about that, I don't want to give the impression that I think we have to know everything about our ancestry or about any of that to connect with our wildness. It really is, is in there. It's just another word for the soul. It's really just a being that is comfortable being in what they are and 
all that they are and among what they're meant to be, among what they are, really. Like all the feelings, all the emotions, all the truth, all of it is really our wildness. Um, It's what emerges so beautifully when we just are able to glimpse beyond the veil of um, all this stuff we have and that we're not supposed to get rid of, but like the ego and the fears and identities and like trying to appear like something, you know, um, it's just, it's the core. It's the best way I can put it. And I have no idea how it came up. I, the term wild soul healing, which is my Instagram, that's where kind of the wild came into my work. Um, that happened very shortly after I started to read tarot for other people. Um, in a professional basis when I was 30. And I really don't know. It was right after a breakdown and um, that was PTSD related. And I didn't have a lot of money for the kind of support that I think everybody deserves after they have a breakdown. So I had the, what I could afford and what I had access to, but not, uh, there was a lot of personal work that had to happen in between like appointments and people that I could see, um, while I was healing from that. And, um, the thing that helped me most was just being outside and just really sensing into like, you know, in this moment, the trees are this way, but a couple months ago, they were different in a couple months, they'll be different. And that's what you'll be too. Because when you're in the midst of that, it's very hard to sense into like, this will be forever. And, you know, um, so that to me is wildness. It's just remembering my birthright as somebody who is a part of a larger spiral of memory and of, um, that something much bigger than me is always holding me and guiding me if I can let it, you know, so. Yeah. And you're like inextricably linked and like, yes, woven into it. Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I love all of that. And the most like logical of us belong to the wild, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) That all, I, all of that. Um, (laughs) in addition to the wildness and you kind of, for you, like you were saying, like the wildness is another way of speaking about the soul. And I feel like, the way that you run your business and how you talk and show up in the world and the way that you relate to the tarot, you're very like intentionally. And I would say also kind of like radically choosing the soul and choosing to put it first as best as you can. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a breakdown, which I don't, I'm not going to make you go into, but do you think that like, what were some of the moments where you realized you were going to have to choose this part of yourself in a really big way, like on purpose and also even in your business, choose to put it like forward? I feel like I make those choices every day, actually. Um, that's the thing that, and I really want to shout out my teacher, my lineage right now, my teacher, Michelle Sine, who is not a tarot teacher, but came into my life kind of right before I had kind of that breakdown breakthrough and I've been working with ever since. And she really was the one that languished for me the difference between our brain experience and our soul experience. And um, even though I have enthusiastic and joyful consent and permission from her to like, have it be so like 
intimately woven into my work with the tarot. It did come from someone who, who taught it to me. So I want to name her in that. Um, so Michelle helped me to really understand this idea that it's never, you're never like done with it. It's really that you're choosing it every day, that the brain tries fuckery really every day um, in every moment. And like, it's a new thing all the time. But the breakdown experience I had was linked to many things that um, at the time I did not fully understand logically, but knew inside that it was like, I, this is a live or die. If I continue to engage with this, talk to this person, have this person in my life, if I continue to be um, a party to, if I continue to to do this kind of work, if I continue to show up in the world in this way, I'm not going to make it. And I didn't exactly know what I was reaching for, but I knew that I couldn't do what I was doing. And so my experience was really my body, my nervous system going as far as it could and then needing to really heal from the, the bigness of the, of the burnout and the blowout that came with that. Um, probably the biggest decision of that was I have an abusive parent and around that time for that life or death, I chose not to talk to that parent anymore. And that changed my life. And there are some people who have abusive parents. That's not what is available to them. They don't feel ready. That's not a yes for them. I'm no way advocating that like my way is what people are supposed to do. It was just what was right for me. Um, but that was one of the biggest things because it, even though I wasn't fully aware of it at the time, it was choosing my little girl when nobody else in my family chose my little girl and allowed me to continue to be in an abusive situation and thereby it's choosing the soul. So the more you do that and the more one understands that everything true and good and heart-centered and forward and essential about us, including our inner children, our inner teenagers, it's all wildness, it's all soul, that the more you choose that, the more doors begin to open up for you that split off into other doors where you can continue to make these choices. And the more, for me, it is as essential as life and death now. Like I am my inner parent. I am my inner caretaker. My kid is the most important thing to me. If I'm not honoring my soul's yeses and nos, I'm really no good to anybody because that's really when my work will start being diluted by fear, sacrifice. And by the way, I've done it many times in my work where all of a sudden I've been like, holy shit, really far down this path. And I realized I've done this even in the last, easily the last five years. Let's not sugarcoat. Let's not bullshit. Like everybody doing work a period, but especially at the level I'm doing it at with the amount of people, you absolutely are going to have important fuck-ups where all of a sudden you realize, oh my God, I've been responding in this way and doing this thing because I thought it's what people wanted and I didn't realize. And like, so it's every day, but there have been a couple of things like not talking to my mom, not doing readings anymore. That was a very big deal. That was last year at this time. I had to like refund like a lot of people. <laughs> it was a lot of money and I didn't know where that money was going to come from. That's, that's 
that's the hardness of choosing the soul. And um, by the way, I don't come from any money. Like when this is my job. So when I refund money and I say, I don't know where the money's coming from, I mean like my bills, I truly don't know. Um, But it was fine because it wasn't easy, but it was okay because uh, it was so clear that it was a no. So it was, um, the more I trust that, the clearer, the clearer it becomes to me that there really is no other way for me, you know, to live, but it took many years to get there. You know, I think, you know, if, as if you're someone who is kind of committing to being on this kind of ongoing evolution and not just like, well, I'm here, I had a revelation and I'll just stick around on this plateau. Um, Mm -hmm. then I think that it's healthy. I think it's good that we look back like three years ago and we're like, Oh my God, I cannot believe I said that. And like, look at me, I was being so small and like scared. Like, I think that's great. Like, I think we should feel that that in ourselves. It's not fun. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but you know, that's, uh, important. it's important. Yeah. I don't know that fun is one it of is. the main descriptions of living a soul centered life, but, no. um, I think that takes me to kind of one of the most like exemplary things that I witnessed from you rather regularly is your, is just kind of your ability to be like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I fucked up about a thing. And I love that. Like, I think that's really important as a gesture, but also as the way that you approach yourself and approach people and the public and in the public's um, idea of who you are. And um, I think that takes a lot of, I think it takes a lot of vulnerability and also like awareness. And I don't think that's something that we see very often from people. Like we care so much about how we look and being in charge. And so, um, mm-hmm. but you're like, yeah, I got an email from someone and this thing I said a couple of weeks ago, like, isn't cool. Let me apologize. I'm like, Whoa, look at her just doing that. <laughs> well, thank you. I feel like it's the least I can do. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. that's a lovely example, um, for just being you. still in yourself and not, uh, losing any of your authority or sacrificing your own inner authority. And also like being able to just mm-hmm. kind of be humble and be like, you know what? This was not cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So there's that. Um, I think that, did you find that, like, I don't know that like PTSD is often linked with like someone who connects to their intuition in a really strong way. I imagine that there must've been a lot of like bridge work there. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe yeah, it had yeah, to do yeah. with embodiment, maybe not. But do you mind talking about this kind of your introduction and your integration with your own intuition? Yeah. So what I want to say is that <clears throat> it is possible, and I'm in no way implying that you were not saying this, but I just, I know from the work I do, the questions I get that the more I can say this out loud so in any place where people can hear it, I'm going to say it. Um, people who have PTSD, it is completely possible to check in, tune in, hear, perceive your intuition beautifully. Um, what it is, and again, I want to bow to Michelle Sine, who taught me this. What it really is, is that when you have PTSD, your hypervigilance, yep. your protection is so extreme and so high that every time we step into soul, there is a negotiation that happens where the brain um, tantrums, it freaks out, 
because it senses that like we're always in this divine dance. There's always kind of these two radio stations. I refer to it as going on at once. There's always the brain radio station and the soul and the brain is very loud. And it has to be because it's really the primal protector. This is a wild, you know, um, (laughs) like generalization, simplification, but I think it works for our purposes. And the intuition is a whisper. It's very soft and it's, um, they're two very different voices because the soul is really, really interested in evolutionary discomfort. It understands the flow of life, death, life. It understands that this is what we're doing here. This is why we came. We did not necessarily sign up for comfort or ease. We're all mastering something. Um, that doesn't mean we have to be cool with it, but it does mean that what what we are personally experiencing in whatever lifetime we are is part of the evolution that we're that we're we happen to be moving through in this moment. Um, the brain wants to do really every it's very spiralic and the brain is very linear. So when we understand that, anytime we choose even a little bit to step into the spiral, the brain will attempt because it loves us so much to pull us back into the straight line and it will literally use chemical warfare to do it. It's got really good weapons, like, great, you know, it will pull us into old thoughts or whatever. Um, But when you understand that that actually means you're doing everything right, it doesn't make it easy, but it does help to develop a new rhythm. But when you have PTSD, and of course I'm not a therapist, but when you have it, there's just more. There are a couple of more channels. There's like your little self. There might be a couple of other selves that need time with you. Um, I have many different brain selves. I have like the brain and then I have this really, really, really hypervigilant, intense protector who is a little different. She's the one that like kept me alive in my mom's house um, and she and I, we now have a little bit of a better relationship, but like, whoa. And so I kind of feel like I have a little bit like two brains, even though I recognize them as being one thing. There's more notes on the piano if we have PTSD. That's the best way I can put it. And it's not a problem. It actually creates, I think, more depth. It creates more specificity. It creates a little bit more sensitivity and inclusivity when we're talking about intuition because it really is like, um, there's a it's like you dip into intuition the brain has something to say about it you kind of pull back and then you go forward again it's really not about the bypassing of the thoughts or the emotions or the trauma it's about going through them like they have to know what we're doing um and i i do that every day every day Every day, something comes up in my day. Sometimes it's very hard. Sometimes the day is very easy where I have to stop, excuse myself. And this is a part of my job. So it's a fine thing. It's great. Um, But where I talk to everybody, I'm like, okay, first I'm going to start with like a little lens. I've got you. You're safe. It's okay. And then I might talk to my body. Then I might talk to my brain. And then I might speak aloud to my guides and just confirm what I heard or what I'm sensing, or if the brain's really being a a jerk and is really pulling me into some big lies, 
Michelle also taught me this, like just speaking it aloud and being like, you're a lying asshole Mm -hmm. and like, no, (laughs) you know, or thank you. I can tell you're scared. I love you. We're safe. And I'm going to show you how safe we are. It's okay. I don't know if that helped or answered your question. I feel like it's the best answer I have, but there's just, there's a lot of richness to intuitive um, expansion when you have PTSD, but it does, we have more, we have a little bit more, more notes. (laughs) We just do, you know, there's more harmony. I would guess we could say. Yeah. I think that's a great image. It's like when you were talking, I had this picture. It's like you're, you have like a legislature, like maybe there's just like more yes. people occupying seats. There are more people occupying yeah. seats. And like, that's we're right. not necessarily taking votes, but we're getting, we're talking to everyone. You got it. Totally. That's exactly right. Um, that's exactly right. Yeah. I think that's like a perfect description. Um, cool. I love your um, kind of approaching I think your podcast and kind of listening to you talk was, I've been kind of playing with the tarot for a while and your approach to really taking it out of this like fate dependent, future telling Mm -hmm. other people, gendered, patriarchal, hierarchical, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I'm sure other people are doing that, but yours was the first person that you were the first person that I heard um, kind of talking in this way about it. And it made me love it more and be better friends with it and be less mm-hmm. scared of it. Cause there were cards that I was like, I'm scared to pull a card. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the, the approach also feels deeply visceral to you. Like when you're talking about it, it feels very much like it belongs to you. Um, mm. Do you mind talking about, your approach, but also like, I'm sure, um, it gets stronger in you the more that you talk about it and, um, kind of how it started to codify a little bit. Yeah. So my approach, um, so I have a little term for the way that I teach tarot. It's just called soul tarot, but it's a pretty lame term for something that's really an ever evolving. It's just basically tarot um, for inclusion and evolution. That's just what it is. And there are a couple of, it's looking at the tarot as being for you, not to you, Mm -hmm. which is a pretty huge radicalization of the idea of tarot. Um, it's really easy to feel like tarot happens to you, but it's not really the truth. It really does. All cards happen for you. All cards bring medicine, no matter how tough or, you know, scary they might be. There is the gift that they do bring, stuff like that. You know, there's there's a lot to that. Um, I developed this approach to tarot. I've never had a teacher, although I've been a student, of course, for many years. I've read many things, but to be respectful and also really honest, the amount of education that I've had in self-study has only inspired me to look further because I never found, even when I was 12, answers, approaches to tarot that suited me. They always seemed very off the mark. I did not feel included in them. They were very dependent on future. They were very, um, seemed to be, to be very dependent on circumstances when tarot really doesn't have anything to do with external circumstances, which might be like very strange for some people to wrap their minds around, but it's really true that um, 
if you pull a card, even if it has another person in it, that's you doing work with you. That's not an indication that anybody's coming in or anybody's doing anything to you or that you're going to meet anybody, which is a bummer to say, but it is true because if everybody who ever got the lover's card met their lover, we wouldn't even be having this podcast. There would just be an understanding. Like to me, my approach is really just fueled by common sense and curiosity is just like the court cards cannot be gendered. It's impossible. Nothing in the tarot is gendered because there's no all one gender. There aren't two genders, period. That's the end of the conversation. The lovers cannot be about meeting a lover. Not everybody dates. People are asexual in this life. If the tarot, any card doesn't include everybody, we've gone down the wrong path. So to me, that's just common sense. I never saw anybody talking about that before me, but obviously other people have common sense too. And I'm sure we're coming up with things like that on their own. But when I started to talk about this, nobody was really talking about it. So I think though that in the way my generation and the way the world is moving, that there is a wonderful expansion of vocabulary and inclusion in tarot that's happening. But to me, it's just simply common sense. And it's looking at life through the lens of somebody who honors the brain experience, but it but walks with the souls. And so that's why when we talk about tarot being for you, not to you, that's a big deal because it's another way of saying like, how can we look at the things that happen in life as being for us, not to us, not bypassing anything. We don't have to like it. Not at all. But again, stuff in life happens for us to evolve through it. Evolution does require a bit of discomfort to get it going. So it's just shifting a little bit of the old paradigms that have really informed tarot for a very long time and going, that was all based on a foundation of belief that was bullshit to begin with. Um, And finally, this might sound a little out there to some people, but I don't care. Um, that's okay. The tarot has existed long before it was put into paper card form. These archetypes have lived since time immemorial. They have much to teach us. And the tarot is, even with what I'm talking about it, I'm probably getting only about 2% of what's possible with it because it's coming through my filter. And that's something that I think a lot of people forget is that any book you read, any podcast you listen to, even if that person is just like bringing it home for you and you're feeling like, yes, they're still not doing a hundred percent of what's capable. They're not even supposed to be because really These archetypes are moving in and out of us constantly, whether we're pulling a card on them or not. They're always moving through. They're always inviting us in, always. And we're learning about them the more we live, the more we pull, the more we engage. And um, the more we listen to them, the more this, not my way of thinking, but it just totally opens up the soil for new seeds to bloom and grow with ease. It's just like, oh yeah. Like the minute you, minute you remember that like 
all the people that taught you tarot were people who may or may not have done their work on their brain chemistry or their thoughts or their gender shit or their sexuality stuff or their fear-based languaging or their nonviolent communication or their racism or their white supremacy, the more you're like, oh yeah, like let's not put this person on a pedestal at all. They're just offering something. I can take it or leave it. My relationship with the tarot is mine. And that's the thing is like what I teach is my understanding of it for me. And if people like it and if they resonate or set out to do this. So it's like if people resonate with it, that's so okay. And ideally, definitely said this many times, but like if somebody loves how I depict the tarot, they love it. They take classes with me. They learn everything. I'm only ever going to be the best, like literal basic foundation in the home you built that will have many layers built on top of what I've said that will have furniture, carpet, hardwood, everything that will be yours. Mine can't even get further than that. That's how much it matters, the work that people do with their decks individually. Because what I say might open the door for, that's really all I'm doing, I think, is just opening the door and being like, hey, you can think about it differently. And from there, like what people do with it is completely their own. And some people may hear what I have to say and do and are kind of like next and not into it. And that's so perfect. That's the whole point. So um, yeah, that's my hopefully not too long (laughs) answer. Um, Yeah, it's just developed curiosity, really humble listening and common sense. Yeah. Those are the three ingredients. I think curiosity is, I mean, it's definitely one of my like mega values. It's like, if we can just stay curious. Yes. Um, I think, you know, you're talking about the archetypes, which in my next life, maybe I'll be um, like a psychoanalyst or something. Cause I just like love me an archetype, but um, obviously because we love tarot, we're talking about it, but um, this way of, Because the tarot is really like, we put it back into our possession, like you're talking about. And it reminds me a lot of how, you know, like we're coming, like we're in this Aquarian age now where it's like individual and technology and we possess authority as opposed to like hierarchical authority. And I think what you're talking about is really pulling the tarot into that age in a really big way. And it's like we're participating in meaning making and this is just giving us like pictures. Yeah. I love that. Yes. What a beautiful way to put Um, it. Because archetypes are about myth and we get to like, we're all participating Mm -hmm. in this like big myth and we're getting to make the meaning out of it that we like need or want. Like, again, like our soul needs that narrative in those. Yes. And, um, well, can I share a story? Please. Do we have time? Yeah. By the way, I'm having the time of my life. Great. I'm enjoying this conversation to end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's keep going forever. Um, okay. I want to offer this. Uh, so I want to talk about six of wands. Right. Okay. So the traditional, fairly traditional interpretation, and it's a good one of six of wands is kind of like a victory, right? Like a, a victory, like you kind of won something, like you got a hit, you got like a nice bump and uh, that might come in, you know, Smith Rider weight to pick someone like riding on a horse through like with the people below them and they're on top and whatever. M- again, very kind of patriarchal idea. And I have really always 
taught Six of Wands as being a victory of some kind, like something wonderful, something to kind of, you know, whatever. And it never felt fully true. But I always knew that as it always happens with the tarot, there are some cards that I don't, I haven't actually ever really um, broken bread with. They've never actually come. We've never actually had tea together, but we know one another. It will give me just enough because I won't be there with my, um, I haven't been there yet. You know, I'm only 35. So ideally these relationships will keep developing and getting more intimate with time. And I have had a year that has been really marked by a lot of wonderful personal expansions and movement through huge depth and scary stuff and contraction um, with my therapist and with other people that I work with, just huge. And there's been a lot of languaging around me. How can you celebrate this? And it wasn't until maybe about like a month ago or so that I was just doing my morning pull. I got six of wands and all of a sudden, like it landed for me. Like this is about celebrating yourself. Like this isn't really about a victory. It is, but it's also like, you're the celebrator of it. How do you like to, and I just didn't know that because in my life, I had not yet considered that celebrating yourself is very important. And didn't really even know how to do it. So that's also not to say that you or the next person listening to this would agree with me. That's probably the most beautiful part about tarot is that we all have our own understanding. But um, I will teach that card differently now because of the work that I've done that have. I think that the other really beautiful thing about like a relationship with tarot is that it is constantly getting richer the more you do your work constantly. It is never a static experience. Like I teach cards now completely differently than I did three years ago. Completely. Like I can tell sometimes, um, like when a student studied with me because of what they're saying, you know, like, because, um, and it's great, but like, that's, that's also the beautiful thing about it. It's just that in the myth-making, in the storytelling of these archetypes, like I now have a thread in my life that connects me to that card that I didn't have a thread before. There was just, oh, I see you. Hi, you know, okay. And, um, and I knew that Six of Wands didn't match for me because I pay attention. And when I got it, there was no external validation of a victory. Like there was nothing that would come in after I'd get it. And so I always knew I was missing something, but really trusted that I would get it in time. And um, yeah, then it came in and I've had a couple, like that same similar thing happened with Six of Swords this year too. So it's like just so exciting. Like the more you do your work, the more you know it. And that's the end of my really huge nerd rant. But like, I think that's the beauty of archetype too, you know, is like, there's just this beautiful cycling that happens with it. It's like the more, yeah, like we said earlier, it's like the more work we do on ourselves, like it can't help but become expressed um, in our understanding of things. And um, absolutely. What has, I feel like a lot of times it can be really 
we're kind of taught that being like heart centered, soul centered, and being an entrepreneur are kind of like contradictory things. Like we're kind of taught that either um, subversively or overtly. Um, what has entrepreneurship taught you about being soul centered and vice versa? I think that I am a fairly soul centered entrepreneur and have been since I started working. And it is hard, but it's not as hard as trying to do it in your head. It's way harder (laughs) to try to strategize from a logical place Um, because the supposition is that there's no logic to intuition or that it's somehow not useful in an earthly way when it, it is absolutely. I have so much to say about this, but uh, I think to generalize and then if we want to go into it more, we will or whatever, but I would say what it's really taught me is that my guides and my inner knowing really always know best and my brain and my logic as good as they are, because I think I'm a very smart person with business, um, is never, ever, ever even comparable to the beat of my heart. Because the thing that I think most people don't always understand is that the heart is really the thing that encourages you. Here's just an example to like raise your rates. If you know kind of in your heart my worth is a lot higher than what I'm charging. The brain will actually be the thing that says, you can't do that. Like, who the fuck are you to do that? No one's going to book with you ever again. You know, they're going to think you're this or that. And, and it's actually the logic that holds us back in business a lot and keeps us playing safe, maybe insecure, but um, there's value to that. And there's always a check-in process. So my entrepreneurship is just that I am in service to whatever wants to happen. So I check in about everything and then usually have a huge tantrum about what I hear and respect it. And then later go back and reflect and say, you know, did that work for me? Did it not work for me? So, um, yeah, I feel like we could do a whole hour on that, but to keep 100%. it tighter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <I'll>, uh, <laughs> Easily. Um, yeah. Do you pull cards when you're making business decisions out of like pure curiosity or do you use more of like an internal process? No, I just, it just comes, I ask a question and they yeah. answer. Totally. Yeah. I often find the tarot sometimes confuses things actually <laughs> with, with all due respect that because yeah, things are there. It's constantly changing. So sometimes when I get too attached to what a card said or meant, um, it throws me, whereas it's really just touching in and just, uh, I guess you could call that channeling, but just touching in and then they'll let me know. Totally. I think I would love to get into like embodiment a little bit. Like what are some of the the practices and the tools that have been the most helpful for you as far as like, being in your body and being in your own experience in that way, staying physical and grounded when needed. Oh my gosh. Mm. Um, so I'm in a body that 
is often in pain and um, I have autoimmune. So my experience with embodiment is very spiralic, very seasonal. And I love her seasons. It's totally fine that she is in pain. I'm not, I don't have um, very impressive, I don't have a very impressive skill set in that way. Um, Walking is probably the best example, which seems pretty out there, but sometimes it's really the best thing I can do. Um, I do not have a movement practice. I do not exercise at this juncture. (laughs) I do not. um, There's really not much that I do um, because walking is enough. You know, walking is enough. Um, Probably, though, and again, it's not particularly impressive, but uh, I do a tremendous amount of inner dialoguing and I'm very responsive to my body's communication. So when I wake up and there's something to be acknowledged, there's space that's being asked of me. Um, I'm very good at being able to really be with that part and then um, to give it whatever it may need at that time. Um, I am just now starting to get into a little bit more body work with the therapist I'm working on. And so there's probably in a year or two, like a little bit more I could say about embodiment, but basically like my attention and my care are the two biggest parts that facilitate me really being in my body a hundred percent because if something comes up for me, it's immediately scooped up and acknowledged. Like it's the most important thing in the world because it is. <laughs> um, I mean, meditation, mindfulness, like, you know, there are many things that I do, but I don't know that I'd really be able to synthesize them in a way that may provide an interesting answer. Yeah. You know, no, I think there's nothing clarifying like a good walk. Um, and like for me yeah. as someone who like I've been moving my whole life like I was a dancer and I do yoga and I teach yoga and I teach all this I'm always like moving awesome. is super comfortable for me but rest is actually the hardest embodiment practice that I have and do like actually just like stop doing is deeply difficult I have the same thing it's very hard for me um, I'm a very internal, fairly sedentary person. And I've always been that way. I hate moving and have since I was a little kid. It sounds very strange to say, but I really do. I hate moving. Um, and, uh, I'm working on that right now. I'm really working on that because my body really wants to move. And so I'm trying to respect her wishes on that, but I don't like it because I know that I'll throw my back out if I do too much or whatever, you know, um, I still struggle with rest. I do. I always think I should be or want to be working on something, creating, writing, putting something forward in a way that feels constructive and good. And when I slow down, then my brain is like, you're never going to work again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I feel like this year I had some huge successes in like 
all I'm doing is reading my Stephen King book right now. That's it. Yeah. You know, just for this week, whatever. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm still very much in process with that part of my of my uh, embodiment. I'd say like I feel extremely embodied, but I don't have a lot of specific practices. But yeah, I totally agree with you on the rest. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> I find what's coming up for me. I've been in kind of this period of like forced spaciousness. I closed a business earlier this year, and it's just been a lot. Mm-hmm. And but for me, a lot about rest. There's like a fear around rest because it's like I don't trust that there is another chapter. It's like oh, well, if I of rest, course. it's fallow. There's not something this coming. Yeah, this is it. Like I'll just be stuck here if I don't start yeah. moving now. Um, yeah. I think that's very universal. And so really, and there's a lot to be. And then I always get mad at myself when I'm in the next place. I'm like, why didn't you just enjoy that space for where you were? So I'm trying to learn to take that like future lens of me. It's like in six months, you're going to really wish you had enjoyed the space. So like do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I feel like I really learned this year too. It's just like shit is going to pop off. You know, it always does. So just chill mm-hmm. while you've got the chill time. Major Stephen you know? King. Right. For me, it's like play medicine. words with friends, like whatever the thing is. Yes, whatever yeah. your medicine yeah. is. Absolutely. Totally. The non-productive medicine. Um, yes. What do you feel like the tarot is kind of continually bringing you back to? Me. Yeah. Me. Spirit, clarity, truth, just like, Anytime I get wigged out, um, which is always, I'm a person. Um, it's just the most beautiful, effective touchstone to be like, oh yeah, like I don't have to sweat this. Like they've got me. I've got me. They're just going to help guide me back home here about what's present in this moment. You know, because really... That's also a huge piece of how I teach tarot. Like this moment is all that there is. And what is here is extremely important. And um, the more we're here, the more we're able to bridge the gap between where we are and where we maybe would like to be. Um, But there's so much information. So me, I guess. And yeah. kind of pulling, I like that, like the attention on the present. Cause like you were saying, like earlier when we were talking about like, you know, taking tarot out of this like future telling thing mm-hmm. that like witches and tents do at the circus. Um, it's like the future is collaborative. And I think yes. that what you're saying is kind of like pulling all of these, all of these meanings and all of these medicines into the present moment kind of helps you collaborate on the future that as best we can, yes. whatever that means. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Future's totally not fixed. Yep. We have total autonomous free will in this life. And really the more present we are with what is here, what is happening within us, around us, the more we can build an aligned future for ourselves and others. So it's really in every moment that we're using the tarot to kind of come back home to what is, you know, the more um, of a citizen of the future, I think we can be really an ideal citizen. What is your opinion on the tarot as having a place in social justice? Do you have an opinion I on think, that? 
Well, I don't know that I have an opinion that would really matter mm -hmm. to other people because I am a white person with mm -hmm. privilege. Um, we both are. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I do because I think tarot belongs to everybody. And previously, it has really belonged to white people with privilege. And now we're really seeing such an important shift because makers of color, queer makers have always been there. But now I feel we're living in a time where there's really being a, a visual reclamation of, of, you know, um, of the fact that these archetypes belong to everybody and everybody deserves to have a deck that feels like it belongs to them, that it speaks their language, that um, there is representation. There is an acknowledgement of something that is made by somebody who actually lives the experience. And I think because the tarot can be such an unbelievably unimaginable, important tool for mental wellness, for care, for self-autonomy, for um, checking back in with our inner voice, for tuning in with spirit. If the cards don't feel like they're talking to you, it's going to feel like, well, this belongs to somebody else and not for me. So it's actually like a fairly inexpensive tool that can exist and come with you wherever you go that can touch you back into something larger than you that can hold you. And ideally, if it looks and feels like you and your experience, I think that it can help tremendously. And with decks like Christy Rhodes' Next World Tarot, which I think is like one of the most important decks ever made by anybody, um, it's really a deck for social justice revolution and like the apocalypse. It's really medicine for those times and um, features all kinds of bodies and all kinds of identities. And so um, from a white privileged perspective, I think that the tarot has always been available to be a tremendous force for personal medicine around social justice. And I think we're really starting to see some of the richest creations around that now. And I can't wait to see more, but yeah, I think so. Totally. You know? Yeah. yeah. I know that we are not the cards. I mean, I guess we could if someone really wants that, <laughs> but is there, are there cards that you're like, this one's my favorite or I feel really close to? <laughs> oh man. I don't think I have a favorite. I really like them all. I don't know. You know, it changes all the time, all the time. Like right now, um, I'm in so much, I'm in so many daily meetings with King of Cups and um, I really get it. I get why they're here. I understand how we are working together right now. Um, and I do feel that, that sense of, um, you can heal and you can take care of yourself while you're helping others. Um, maybe more acutely than I've ever felt it specifically right now. Um, but I wouldn't say like I'm a king of cups. I've previously said that I do feel like high priestess sometimes be not because I think I'm a high priestess, but because high priestess's rhythm is very lunar and the tendency is to be an inward looking person versus an outward looking person. But I don't know. 
I really don't feel like that right now. So <laughs> it really changes, you know, um, not to be annoying about it, but, uh, you know, but that's, uh, I feel like maybe King of Cups right now. We're doing some, some important stuff mm-hmm. together. They're attending. Yeah. What's inspiring or who's inspiring you right now? I need to shout out my therapist. Yes. My therapist. Her name is Jennifer Benetato. She practices in New York. She's the best therapist in New York. Um, she's so beautiful and wise and inclusive and lovely and teaches me by reflecting back to me um, every week something that is extraordinary and life-changing and she's very committed to social justice and inclusion and is really changing my life. And I think she's amazing and, and consistently, not only do I get so much out of her work, but she as a woman is very inspiring to me. Um, God, who else is inspiring me? My husband is really inspiring me right now. My husband, Chase Voorhees just made a deck and he's, um, independently like distributing it, selling it. And we just got the first proof back and it's so beautiful. Um, and just seeing like somebody physically birth the product that it's just been really extraordinary to be a witness to that. Um, and, um, oh my God, who else? I mean, there's so it's many like, there doesn't have to be more unless there are me. more. Yeah. I'm no, sorry. You don't have to apologize. Um, yeah, my my therapist Jen Benetato and my husband. I think those are perfect. <laughs> yeah, thank you. If there was um, any sort of wisdom or tool that you would want to leave us with, as we, mm-hmm. what would that be? This might sound cheesy, but that wildness belongs to you, and that it's always available to you, and you don't need a gatekeeper key you have it. You don't have to know anything. You don't have to be chosen. You don't have to be initiated. You don't have to know anything, any information. You're already chosen. You're already a part of the wildness spiral Mm -hmm. and that um, it's waiting really for you and that you can touch base with it anytime you want, just even by asking for examples of it to show up in your life. Wildness belongs to everybody. I love that. Um, <laughs> well, on that note, I think we'll we'll wrap our official conversation. Thank you so much for making time to chat and converse. It's been such a pleasure having you on. Thank you for having me. This has been a dream. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the conversation please leave us a five-star rate or review, subscribe to the show, and share the episode with someone else who would enjoy it. Be sure to check out the links below the episode in the notes for more information about anything that we talked about on the show, free resources, and also how you can join our free group where you can talk about the episode with other like-minded folks. Thank you for being here. Peace. Peace.